You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So Hebrews chapter 4 today is where we find ourselves. The author of Hebrews is, is, is really weaving. You know, as I've read the book of Hebrews multiple times over the last several weeks. You know, it, it reads like a sermon. I mean, it really does just read like a sermon. He's all referencing back to the Old Testament and expanding on the Old Testament. References back again, expands again. You know, consistently weaving uh, the scriptures together and then giving interpretation as he goes. And if we reach the end of chapter 4, we'll be in verse uh, 14, 414 to start. Uh, he begins to fix his eyes transitionally on who Jesus is. And if I was to sit down today and ask you to tell me who Jesus is, many of you would would have wonderful explanations for who Jesus is. You may say things like, uh, he's the son of God who takes away my sins. You know, he's the Messiah. He's he's the, you know, the second person of the Trinity. You know, you might even get some historical thing. You know, he was born in Bethlehem to Mary and God slash Joseph, right? And he's and you might tell his whole story because you know a lot about Jesus. But one of the things that, uh, you know, and I, I did this, uh, sometimes I do this in transitional uh, sections in my sermons uh, where I talk about an aspect of God, a name of God that gives us dimensionality to who God is. Jesus is multifaceted as well. You know, he isn't just uh, like the, the Lamb of God to take away our sins. He is that very clearly, right? But he's also the conquering king that you see in Revelation that comes with the sword in his mouth ready to bring judgment on the world, right? He's bigger and more diverse than sometimes our our, our first inclination to think about him is. And the author of Hebrews wants to focus right now on one specific facet of who Jesus is, and that's the facet of Jesus being our high priest. And the, the word high priest has lost a lot of its impact that it would have had back in the day when Hebrews was written. You know, the high priest was, it was a huge figure in Judaism. It was the leader. He was the leader of the, the whole religious system uh, that the Jewish people followed. And we can't ever, I mean, even as we think about it, our minds are not geared to accept that. And on this, so on this side of Easter, we've lost the term high priest. And on this side of the Reformation, we even struggle with the word priest. Right, because we don't have priests inside of the, uh, the kind of post-Reformation churches, like Baptist churches. Uh, you know, people sometimes struggle. People who don't go to church very often struggle with what to call me. Uh, what do we call this person? If you call me by what it says on the block of granite outside or marble outside, I am Reverend Higginbotham, uh, which is fine. Uh, I prefer to be revered, uh, but you know, like you know, like, like Reverend Higginbotham. It's a title, right, Pastor. Higginbotham, inside the church, Brother Higginbotham, maybe you've been at church before, we don't use that too often here, but you know, my church in Livingston, the pastor was Brother Fred, that was who he was, that was his, his title uh, that he was called affectionately, still is called affectionately uh, by his church, but people who are outside the church, they're like, are you a pre, what do I, father, what do I call you, they struggle uh, with what to call me, and I'm like, no, just Matt, right, that really, uh, for me, the, the easiest thing for you to call me is just Matt. However, I did receive something in the mail. You, know, you can always tell when people know you and don't know you based on how they address things to you. So it was something like uh, Reverend Matt A. Higginbotham. And in my life, 
I've never used my middle initial with my abbreviated first name. Like Matt A just sounds terrible. My middle name's Alan, by the way, uh, if you're wondering for, for uh, you know, crocheting something for me later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, Matthew Alan Higginbotham, it flows better, Matthew, than Matt Alan Higginbotham, it just doesn't sound right. Uh, and so like Matt A. Higginbotham, I was like, this person doesn't know me at all. Uh, and they don't, for sure. Uh, also, I get stuff sometimes addressed to Dr. Higginbotham. I'm, I'm like, hmm, hmm, you don't know me at all. Uh, <laughs> But here we are in Hebrews chapter 6. We're looking at that, 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 that part of Jesus, which is the high priest. And while that term may be foreign to you, I pray today that as we explore it, uh, that God gives us some dimensionality for you to appreciate exactly what Jesus is doing uh, for our salvation and for our good today. Starting in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4, uh, the author of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast or confession. For we do, not, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when we again talk about the high priestly aspect of Jesus, uh, he says, you know, we don't have this high priest uh, that is not like us. You know, he goes back into the incarnation, the fact that Christ was man. That's an important part of who Jesus was, is that he was indeed the son of man, that he experienced life and temptation just like you experienced life and temptation. But unlike you, he never gave in to temptation, right? He never stumbled when temptation came his way. You know, I love the, the song Sweet Hour of Prayer. One of the things I love about that song is, you know, it talks about uh, how, how that person oft escaped the tempter's snare, right? And for me, like, I'm like, man, sometimes, sometimes it seems like temptation is just a snare out there. You're, un, 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 look, you're unwittingly just walking around, and then boom, it gets you. And the person in the song, the author of the song, I don't know who it is. I probably should look that up. But, you know, what they say is, you know, I oft escaped the tempter's snare uh, by, by, my, by thy return of sweet hour prayer, right? by the idea of going back to prayer. Right? If you're a person of prayer, the, the tempter snare seems to walk away. Jesus was consistently in prayer, and so he never struggled with, with the temptations as they came. The temptations were there. They were laid out before him. He can sympathize with the fact that you're tempted day by day. He is like you, but never once gave in. And because of that, because he's like you, because he's not just something else altogether different than you, and he is our high priest, we can confidently come to him because he's our high priest. Guys, what a wonderful thing it is that we can have confidence to come to the high priest of Jesus Christ. One of the great things the Protestant Reformation did was it finally completely tore down this idea that you can't come to God yourself. Right? There, there, was, a, there was a segment of the population that was set up, and you would have to come to them to go to God. That is the role of the priest inside of the Catholic Church, is that they are an intermediary between God and man. They stand there... And God is here, the priesthood is here, you are there, you wayward sinner, right? And you must come to me, the priest, to go to God. And, and that is not the way it works because we have a high priest who is like us. He's like you. He's not something altogether different. He is different than you, but he's not altogether different. He can sympathize with you. He can walk alongside of you and you can go confidently to him. You don't have to go to me 
to get absolution for your sins. You don't have to go to me to petition God for the things that, that, that you need because you have a high priest who stands in the presence of God, his Father, and petitions on your behalf. You go to him. Right? That's why our prayers should be addressed in the name of Jesus, right? Because he is the one who carries our prayers to the Father. He's the one who stands boldly in front of the Father and does the work of the high priest. One of the main roles of the high priest was to stand in that intermediary position between God and man. And every year the high priest would go in and offer this absolution of sins, the day of atonement. He would go and perform the rituals and, and everything like that. And then he was responsible for setting up the entire system that functioned for the rest of the 364 days out of the year so that you could have some sort of access to God through the priestly class. And Christ tore all of that down and said, you come to me. What a wonderful thing it is that we can go there with confidence. Right? We don't go in there meekly and embarrassed. Sometimes you feel embarrassed. Listen, I've been there. Like I have, I've been caught in sin, struggled with sin. Right? And then you, you go like a dog who's been scolded with the tail between your legs to, to, to God. And you say, God, I'm so, so broken and messed up. And that's okay because, honestly, that, that's probably where your heart should be at that moment. But you can have confidence that even as you go in shame, that he stands with you. Because he knows where you've been. He's seen the path that you've walked down. He can empathize with the fact that you may have struggled. He can look and say, I can see how that happened. And then he stands between you and God, and he makes a way. What a beautiful thing that we can go directly to Christ, that you don't have to come to me. The high priest is accessible. You know, in Judaism, the high priest was not an accessible person. You didn't just walk up to the high priest and say, hey, let's talk. Uh, about how we can get these things right. Like, i got a special thing I want you to bring up uh, to God. When you're in the Holy of Holies, you know, sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat, i got one more thing I want you to do for me. The high priest was, was insulated from the people, right? He had the whole, uh, like, religious priesthood class around him, the Sanhedrin around him. You might be able to find access to, it, to the Sanhedrin, someone, some member of the Sanhedrin, uh, Nicodemus or something, and you might be able to find access to them out in the street, but you wouldn't have direct access to Caiaphas. It's a high priest at the time of Jesus' life. You wouldn't have access to him. He's insulated. It's kind of like our, our current governmental system, right? Like you can, you, can, you can have access to a representative. If you want to be, be involved inside of uh, politics in our country, your representatives are somewhat accessible to you. And even then, it's only somewhat accessible to you, right? It's kind of tough to get them cornered sometimes. But if you want to talk to the President of the United States, that's a tough beat. That's a tough guy to get your hands on. That's a tough guy to get five minutes with. Hey, I just need five minutes with you. He's like, I'm the leader of the free world. I don't have five minutes for Rockdale, Texas, right? <laughs> right, for the whole town, much less you, right? And that's kind of what it was like. But Jesus isn't that sort of high priest. He isn't someone who says, you know what? I don't have time for you. Go to Matt, right? Go to Matt, then Matt will go to someone above him. And then eventually that person above Matt, as we pass the request up a few chains, will come to me. I only want to hear from like five people. You're not one of the five. Jesus, Jesus says, come to me. Right? Come to me. What a beautiful thing. Right? He talks about, talks about you know, take, my, take my yoke upon you. Right? right? Right. The idea is that he says, come. Just come to me. Come confidently to Jesus Christ. You don't have to go uh, somewhere else. You don't have to go to some middleman. Right? The high priest is available to you today. So go to him. Continuing on in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, For every high priest chosen from among Men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the other people. Verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when, God call, or, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ didn't exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And also, as he says in another place, you were a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the idea here is that you don't, you don't put on the role of becoming a high priest on yourself. And, and that may be somewhat idealized because back, if you were to go back into the time when the high priest was going on with Jesus' time, there was definitely some political uh, maneuvering to try to get yourself to that position. Not unlike uh, the Pope today, right? This is kind of an interesting thing about how popes become popes. You, know, you get the white smoke that shows up. But there's some maneuvering inside of the, 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 the College of Cardinals, right, to try to figure out who can, who can position themselves, get enough allies to vote them to become that. But in the ideal world, the high priest was one who was appointed by God. And in fact, if you were to go back into the Old Testament, you'd see there's a, the use of the, you know, the Urim and the Thummim, right, the idea of these two rocks that would fall out and that would kind of select uh, people for specific positions. God himself was doing that. And God chose Christ to be that high priest. Christ didn't presume that upon himself. God said, you are appointed to be our high priest, right? Jesus is appointed to be your high priest. And he's appointed in a couple ways. First of all, God says uh, that you are my son today. I've begotten you, right? And you, you have that in a variety of places, but one of those is at his baptism, right? The Spirit of God rests on Jesus at his baptism, right? He says, you are my beloved son. And then later on, he says that he's a priest from the order of, more, in the order of Melchizedek. What a weird reference this is. In fact, the author of Hebrews is going to spend a lot of time talking about Melchizedek. I'm not going to belabor it too much now because in a couple chapters we're going to have like a whole sermon about uh, Melchizedek. But, but here's the, the like 30,000 foot view of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the high priest of the town of Salem. He was a priest and king. Uh, and when Abraham uh, was doing Abraham's things, uh, he had just won a battle. Uh, he came to Melchizedek and Abraham offered him uh, a tithe of, of, of everything that he had so Melchizedek would bless him. Melchizedek is this kind of idealized priest king from the Old Testament. And so when we reference that back, what we're seeing in Jesus is Jesus the fulfillment of the priest and king combination. Right? He is the perfect fulfillment of the priest-king combination. That's why he's king of kings, right? Lord of lords. Master of the universe, the Messiah, the, the, the chosen one of God, the one who will come back and reign forever. That king, but he's also our high priest, who's been appointed for your good. Right, right. What does the high priest do? He offers sacrifices for absolution of sins for your sins. That was the role of the high priest, right? To go and to help you, to equip you so that you could have uh, your sins forgiven, so that you could have a right relationship with God. The high priest works for you. In this case, Jesus, his work as his role as the high priest is for your good. It's not for his good. It's not for his glory. It's not for his honor. It's because you have weakness and frailty and brokenness. And he knows that the only way that that stuff can be wiped away is through him engaging with you. 
And so while the high priest before Jesus had to offer sacrifices for their sins, before they would go out to offer absolution for your sins, Jesus had no sin, and so he became sin, took on your sin on the cross so that you could receive absolution, right? The, the punishment, the sacrifices that were made over and over again in the Old Testament were made once for all in Jesus Christ, and at that moment, our sins are wiped clean because Jesus takes them on himself. Continuing on in verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, and so what we have here, guys, is this, this picture back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Right on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after he had been in the upper room, after we'll celebrate next week, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, we'll remember the sacrifice of Jesus and how Jesus uh, had called us to remember that sacrifice. But after the Lord's Supper, after the first, the, the, the final supper, he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was surrounded by his disciples and he left some of them behind. He brought three of them further up with him. And then he went off a little way to pray and you can hear the prayers. It's agonizing. Right? If you read that story... Uh, about Jesus' prayers, you see like, wow, the, 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 just the angst, the, the, the difficulty of that moment. Right? Jesus knew that the cross was coming. He saw that the end was approaching. And in fact, it wouldn't be before the night was over that he would be already tried and found wanting by the Sanhedrin after the betrayal of Judas. And he cries out to God. Right? He cries out to God. He says, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. If there's any other way, and it's an anguished cry, right? Jesus has experienced that, but through all of that he suffered, through everything that he went through, he was making a way for your salvation. Right? He suffered so that you, right, as it says here, who might obey him, might, might receive the eternal salvation. Right? Jesus suffered all of these things as our high priest. He suffered all of these things so that you might obey him and receive eternal salvation. So Jesus is, is appointed the high priest. Jesus, uh, because he's a high priest, we confidently can come to him because he knows what we're like. But he's also filling the role of the high priest perfectly. Unlike every high priest before Jesus... Who, who had all sorts of brokenness and fallibleness inside of themselves, Jesus fulfilled the role perfectly. He offered prayers and supplications for the people. He cried out for their good, and every step of the way, he sought the will of his Father day by day. As a high priest, he offered a sacrifice for you. Well, so the whole story, right? the whole, whole gospel narrative, hinges on the fact that Jesus offered a sacrifice for sinners like you and like me. And Jesus did this so that we could receive eternal life. And then after we've received the gift of eternal life, after we've believed on Jesus for our salvation, then we have this access to God through Jesus. Or we have access to the Father through Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus is our high priest, and he serves for our good. I think this is the point of this passage. 
that we have a high priest who serves not for himself, right? Right. And I, I always get caught up in like our current political landscape, right? We get these people that elevate themselves, and then you're like, who are they working for? And it always seems like 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 the good guys somehow get eaten up in the system, and they're always ultimately working to, to their own ends. Right, you can see it, right, because they go in penniless and they walk out with, with million-dollar homes. You're like, how does that happen in public service? But how does that happen? I wonder about that at churches sometimes. I see pastors who walk out of churches with, with multi-million-dollar things, and I'm like, how does that happen in the service of God? Right, high priests often were beset with this same idea, right, where their, their motivations would get, get messed up. And instead of serving for the good of the people, they were serving for their own good, serving for their own pleasure, serving for their own reward, serving for their own wealth, serving for their own uh, purposes, right? And so what God had intended for the good of the people, the people corrupted and made it for the good of themselves. So the high priest was, was never like a, a poor carpenter's son from Nazareth. Well, that would never be the case. Now, the high priest was someone born to the right family, with the right connections, and who would do enough to keep things moving in the direction that they were intended to move for their benefit, not for the benefit of the people. That's why they set themselves up against Jesus. It's why the antagonistic to Jesus, right, the people ultimately who led to Jesus' arrest and then brought him to Pilate to try to get him crucified, successfully got him crucified. The reason that they did that was because Jesus was a threat to their system that they built to benefit themselves. Jesus is a high priest who serves for our good. Or he serves for our benefit. He seeks your good. So we confidently go to him knowing that he has your best, your best needs, your, your, the things that you need in his mind. That the reason he died on the cross for our sins is not because that was for his good. Or you know what would have been good for Jesus back when uh, that day was coming? Not to walk down that path. Suffering and pain and death and agony, betrayal. They walk that path anyways. Why? For your good, for your benefit. And he's still doing that today. He's still offering supplications to his Father on your behalf. He's still standing as an intermediary between God and man, right, to, to, to provide, or between the Father and man to provide a method for our salvation. Right? When we die and we face uh, the righteous judge face to face, he stands beside us as our advocate, advocating for us as we believed on him. Right? He, he serves for our good. What a wonderful picture of service that is, that he looks out for you. And he knows you. He knows the things that you think. He knows the things that you do. And he still says, I'm serving people. So if there is that high priest who loves you and knows you and serves you, my question is, are you confidently going to him today? Are you confidently stepping into his presence today and looking to him for your salvation, right, for, for your immediate justification, but also for your daily sanctification? Are you looking to him to, to make you more like Christ? Because you know what? He, he, he's longing, right? He's longing to serve for your good. So what he does is the high priest consistently offering up prayers and supplications for the saints. 
But we have to go to him. Initially, we have to go to him in faith to experience salvation. And after that, we have to go to him in faith daily as we pursue after him day by day. Right? Day by day in our growth and knowledge of him. Guys, I want to encourage you today to go to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, to go to Jesus for salvation. But if you know Jesus, if you know him as your Savior, if you know him as your Lord, to go to Jesus. Stop relying on yourself. Stop going in your own courage, your own name, your own confidence of what you know. And put that away and go to the one who knows God better than you do. Because he is God. Right. And then who wants what's good for you. That, 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 that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, right? What a picture that is, right? But, but sweet hour of prayer. We're like sweet 30 seconds of prayer, right? right let's shorten that song down. It may not fit in the meter quite right, but we could probably find a way to massage it a little bit. Right? We need to be going to him day by day, minute by minute, standing in the presence of our great high priest who serves for our good. God loves you. Shows that through sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. And Jesus shows that by daily standing advocating for you before the Father. What a beautiful thing that is. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. Let's pray.